Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ben and Chris Talk Sports. I'm Chris. And I'm Ben. We're here, as always, to bring you our opinions on the news, notes, and happenings from around the world of sports. Episode 91. Pretty straightforward show for you today. Three topics. Not a lot of fluff in between. Later on, we're going to get to the Tampa Bay Rays pitching staff. Despite being very competitive this season, they have faced a lot of injuries. We're going to discuss some reasons this is possible. Issues in Philadelphia. Problems with the process. Ben's Ben's favorite franchise over the course of the last couple of decades. He, you know, That's incorrect. They were his pick for the worst-run franchise in sports. But first, Baltimore Ravens news. Now, normally, when it's Baltimore Ravens-related on this show, it's very positive. Because despite being Patriots fans, we very much recognize the caliber of play, the quality of players on that team. I, in fact, believe a few episodes ago, I chose them as the best secondary in yes, the you NFL. Did. I did. I did not. And just to prove me wrong, the football gods have gone on and made me look stupid, as per usual. Because today, Earl Thomas, safety for the Baltimore Ravens, was released. Now, a fight over the weekend with a teammate in practice. There was an issue. A lot more is coming out now as to what may have led to this. It wasn't just that one incident. There, there's just you don't you don't cut a Pro Bowl safety, knowing you're going to have to fight tooth and nail to get any of that guaranteed oh, money yeah. back. If it was just that one on-field fight, the year after you signed him, nonetheless, to a big contract. Yeah, so it didn't take long. Uh, there was a lot of players that voiced either a release or a trade. So uh, it's, it's a hit to the team, nonetheless. He is a talented player still. He has abilities that no replacement on that team can live up to. And a team, if they're willing to take that gamble – will benefit from one-year Earl Thomas because nobody's given him more than one year. No, he's not getting another long-term deal. He blew that already. I just don't – I don't know. I just – I you, you know how I treat people above 30. I'm like, they're kind of on their tail end, which is part of the reason of putting him – I believe I put him number two, right? Yeah. Yes, I put him number two Um, behind – Crap. Who did I put it behind? Seattle. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you. Yeah, you definitely believe in them. You couldn't even remember. Oh, hush. But this is going to be a challenge for the team because I, I was looking at the article and they became the top point uh, against team in the league after they traded for Marcus Peters. But that part of the reason why is because they had Earl Thomas. Because Chuck Clark plays a different position than Earl Thomas. Right. So you're not just going to – they have, a, I guess, it's some kid uh, 2018 draft pick. What was it, like a third – second, third, or fourth-round pick. Hasn't played a down as a starter yet. I don't know what they're going to do. They, they're going to have to go in the – the season with this this kid in place they don't have a choice well having the pieces around that kid they have around him 
or could help cover up for any inefficiencies in his game if there are any. I don't know. I don't know much about him. I mean, they're, they're gonna. I think the Ravens are still gonna be fine. They're still gonna be a top caliber secondary. Now, I do think they fall behind Seattle. Seattle has Griffin and Jamal Adams. Uh, I pulls I pulls New England closer. Pulls New England closer. I mean, it, it makes it a little bit more jumbled up at the top without them having Earl Thomas as well. But look. I don't want to pile on a guy just because reports come out about him because that would not be very consistent. I am, however, going to present some uh, instances that may help people understand Earl Thomas may not be the easiest guy to deal with. It's funny that the Seahawks traded for Jamal Adams, and you know when this season's over, he's going to get a monster extension. Right. He's going to. And that's fine. That's smart by them. Great player. They have the cap room. Everybody has cap room, no matter what. Even if you don't, you do somehow. I don't know how that works. It's funny money, whatever. They didn't re-sign Earl Thomas. He wanted his extension a couple years ago when he last played for the Seahawks. Got hurt in a game. And instead of taking the high road, Earl, on his way out on the cart, flipped off the entire Seahawks bench. So that, you know, obviously you know he's a man who can control his emotions. That helps him on the field. That also hurts him on and off the field. But you were, did you get to the other, remember the other thing he did? Uh, there's been a few things, I don't know. Well, the, the after uh, the game against the Cowboys, he went into the Cowboys locker room and told um, Jason Garrett to come get him. Yeah, like tra- I remember hearing him. about that. I, I heard, I heard. I heard contrarian comments on that. It did happen. It didn't happen. I, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. The way some of these guys act, they just can't control themselves. Uh, there's a difference between a guy like an Odell Beckham Jr. people give crap to because he's passionate on the field. And a guy like Girl Thomas, who simply just cannot seem to control his emotions in any fashion... Uh, I'm not even going to get into the legal issues he had earlier this year because we really haven't seen any new information on that. And and that's probably due to the fact of the virus and everything. Things are moving really slow. But, I mean, and again, I don't want to crap on the guy. Um, I've always felt he was a little overly emotional and a little unstable for, for my personal taste, but you can't deny his talent. He's a hell of a player. But, I mean, there's a reason the Seahawks didn't bring this guy back. I know how you feel players over 30, but at that point he was not an injury-prone player who was playing at a very high level, and they were still like, eh, I don't know if you're the guy, Earl. Baltimore signed him to a big contract, even coming off an injury, and then says, after one season, nope, we've seen enough. It wasn't just the fight this weekend. It was not just that. There's obviously more to it. And now you have reports coming out about him missing assignments. He missed a walkthrough, I guess, earlier or a practice early this weekend or something. Uh, not getting along with teammates, constantly bickering and jarring back and forth with people. I mean, if there's an Baltimore is an organization that is lining themselves up to not only be competitive for the next, you know, handful of years. At least five to seven. That's as much. That is about as much of a window as I can give any team in the NFL, simply because of how things change so frequently. They're going to keep themselves competitive. They don't need this kind of distraction. 
They don't care who you are. They sent a really good message, I believe. People are going to say, this sucks, this, this is bad. You can't keep somebody who's bad for the team on the team. The Baltimore Ravens have made a statement. We don't care who you are. If you can be detrimental to our cause and you're going to cause problems amongst the team, we're going to get rid of you. I, for one, applaud that. It's it's a smart move in that sense. You don't want him to poison the new kids coming in with ideas of how to act and how to be. You want to foster an environment of winning environments. And if Earl Thomas, albeit he has a Super Bowl ring, he has a, another Super Bowl appearance, talented, tons of experience, it may just be beneficial at this point, especially the way your defense is built, the way your offense is built. You can take advantage of bringing this young kid along and helping him out with the talent they have around him, like you said, in the secondary, also in the linebacker position, in the front seven. Uh, it's just, if there was a time to do it, now would be the time because you're not doing it mid-season. No. You're not waiting for this to happen again. So it, it, this is the time to do it. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like we said earlier, this isn't based on all the reports we're hearing out of Baltimore. This is not a first-time incident. It's the first one of this caliber where you actually got in a physical altercation, a fight with somebody, not just a little bit of a shoving match in practice. I mean, to not hear anything happening to this other guy – who I'm going to venture. I haven't, I mean, I heard his name earlier, but it was nobody I really recognized. I'm going to venture is not nearly the recognized talent of an Earl Thomas to turn around and say, we're not even going to do nothing to this guy, but Earl, you got to go really, really leads me to believe he was a very negative uh, influence in the Ravens clubhouse for the team in general. And they got some super talented veterans. They got really high caliber quality guys on that defense, like Calais Campbell. I know it's his first year there, but that doesn't take away the quality of character of the guy. Sure. He, I mean, you have guys who are, can put a very, very, very positive vibe into that team. You have a coaching staff that knows how to win. You have an explosive young quarterback. Great young tight end. I mean, the future is incredibly bright for Baltimore. And no matter how talented he is, you don't need somebody like this bringing him down. And, and if there's an opportunity at the deadline, we understand this is a different um, season. But if there's an opportunity at the deadline for them to get a safety, if they feel they need one who can fit that mold, who can fit that position, in the same iteration that Marcus Peters was brought in and was able to just seamlessly fit into their defense, then they'll go for it. I'm sure there'll be someone available. Uh, just depends if they fit the position. But if they feel like this kid can do the job and he does it, I mean, who knows? Who knows? I don't I don't think a team like the Ravens is going to have somebody on their roster they don't feel can have the next man up mentality step up and do the job. And like we both just said, with the talent they're going to have around that guy, it's going to help him learn and it's going to make him better as well. And it's more about... No offense to the defense. Let's be honest. The Ravens right now are more about one thing. Lamar Jackson and that offense rolling. Yeah, well, if you can have an offense that puts up 40 and a defense that doesn't give up 13, 
Right. That puts you in a pretty advantageous position. And if you're if you're playing defense and you know that all they can all they have to pass because they have to pass to catch up, that just makes their the defensive job easier. It just depends on how that offense operates this year will be indicative of how that defense is going to play without Earl Thomas. Let's move on now to the Tampa Bay Rays, a team that I have, and I believe you agree with me, have long said is, along with the Oakland A's, the standard for what a small market team can do to remain competitive while not spending money they really just don't have. However, despite being very competitive again this year, they're really struggling in one department. Pitching health. Yeah, not quality. Health. What is it, like nine members of their starting rotation or their bullpen have gone on the injured list this year? Nine, yes. Nine people are either on the 10-day or 60-day DL. Or IL, sorry. And those are players that have gone on since the beginning of the season, right? Correct. Yeah, we're 20 games. We're, we're a month into the season. We're 20, 25 games. Well, if you're, you know, the Cardinals, you're like eight games in. But if you're one of these other teams, like you're, you're almost at a halfway point of your season. It's only 30 games, and you have nine players? Like, what's going on down there? So this is what I'm thinking, Chris. And I think uh, we're thinking the same thing, but go we ahead. We are absolutely thinking the same thing. And I'm, I'm trying to go a different, couple different directions here because it's, it's important to cover as much as we can with this uh, particular topic. The opener. It is. Worst thing I'm, to I'm happen not, to baseball since Rob Manfred. And I, I don't want to say it's the end-all, be-all, but it is indicative of some of the stuff they're doing. I'm not going to lay out all these stats that I gave you, but if you want them all, I'll give them to you. But since, so I go back to 2018. All right. So in 2018, they had two, eight people hit the 60 or 10 day IL. And with the exception of one of them, all of them were some sort of arm or shoulder injury, two of them being Tommy John. Then we go back to 2019. Nine people hit the hit the well one 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 day day, but the other eight went on the DL. And all but one of them, I'm sorry, two of them went all but two of them were on the shelf for an arm or shoulder injury. And then we come to this year. So we said we have nine people on the DL, and we have Charlie Morton actually. Charlie, Morton's, uh, Charlie Morton is twice because he went day-to-day, and then he went on the DL. And actually, Yanni Churios went on the 10-day earlier and then went on the 60-day. So if you think I – know, I know – Technically, it's it's nine, but realistically, you could call it eleven. Yeah, it's a couple of different stints with a few different guys. But yeah. the same situation. Every injury this year has one thing in common: the arm. Yeah, I've I've said this, man, for a long time. I don't like this opener idea that was really introduced to the league in Tampa Bay with Joe Madden, which <laughs> kind of why I, I had a little bit of fun with Joe Madden a few weeks ago. I don't even think it was on. I think I found out he said this after we recorded. He had a real problem with Fernando Tatis Jr. actually, you know, enjoying the game. I thought that was funny coming from a guy like like Joe Madden. (laughs) That opener idea is, I think it really damaged the game. It really did. 
and it, it's damaged a lot of players also. These guys are creatures of habit. Oh yeah. From oh, yeah. the time from the time they come up from little league, high school, college, they're used to going out there and pitching five well, not maybe not in the little league, but you know, high school level, college, uh, minor league ball. They're used to pitching if they're a starter, five, six, seven plus innings. And and then you get this idea of like middle relief comes in. Okay. Have a good relief pitchers is good. That's fine. But now a starter only needs to go four to five innings. They go less and less and less. That's why when guys come along, like a, like a, a Roy Halladay, you know, rest in peace, who's going complete games, you know, three out of four starts in a month, people are like, what is this guy? Is he an alien? Like, geez, I haven't seen this before. And it's like, no, it used to be the norm. Pitchers wouldn't come out of games. And I know it's a different time. I remember reading reading books on baseball history. You get guys like Walter Johnson and Christy Mathewson throw both throw both complete games of a doubleheader and then go play a game in the sandlot with the guys from town and pitch another twelve to thirteen innings. Nobody was like, Oh my god, we have to keep you on a pitch count. Oh my god, your arm's gonna fall off. It's like, no, yeah, you're a pitcher, you pitch, it's what you do. But now it, it it's it, it's different because it's with all the money that comes into the sport, people are babied a little bit more. I don't mean to sound like a jerk when I say that and diminish, you know, you want to be, somebody has a health issue, you want to be recognized that, obviously. Right. But if there's nothing wrong with the guy's arm, adjusting how much he throws to make sure something doesn't happen is fixing something that isn't broken. And that can lead to something being broken. If you take a guy who used to stretch in his arm out a couple times a week and throw in six, seven innings once or twice a week, and then you tell him, oh, by the way, now you're the opener. You only have to throw 25 to 30 pitches tops. But next time you're out, you got to throw 60. Then you're going to throw 25. Then you're going to go seven innings. There's no consistency. There's no muscle memory there anymore. And people can laugh at that, but that is very legitimate. That is how these guys get to the shape they're in, is the muscle memory. Consistently doing the same thing day in, day out, week in, week out. And when you don't have it, you get hurt. The Tampa Bay Rays. So I think I think the there's two cases of how a career can can look like it's going to get derailed, and also got derailed. Uh, Yanni Churios, I think the name is slightly familiar to you. Oh yeah. No. Okay. So in 2017, he didn't pitch in the majors at all. So I don't have his minor league numbers. Uh, I do have in 2018 he hit the IL twice for a right forearm injury. And uh, that's, that's an alert right there. So then you go down to 2019, he pitched 89 innings, but he also hit the IL for a finger injury. 2020, this year, he's hit the IL twice after last year pitching 133 innings. And his second stint, is a 60-day DL stint for elbow. Yeah. And that and, and, and if you don't know Yanni Churios, if you looked at the stat, like I had him um, probably, I'm going to say 2018. No, I, I definitely had him in 2019 on my fantasy team. And I had him for a while because he'd go in and he'd pitch like three or four innings and he might catch, he like caught a couple uh, uh, runs on wins because he was in that nice sweet spot. But then it became a problem if he got blown up because then ZRA would blow up. So he wasn't 
as useful if he wasn't getting those two, three, four innings and getting that W. And the greater point is, is he didn't, he hasn't had consistency on where, when's he, when he's pitching and what days he's pitching. And that's to your point uh, about muscle memory and just having a consistent schedule. And I'll bring up a second player. Uh, do you remember Ryan Stanek? Sounds familiar. So this is the, I would call this the, the, the four, forefather of the opener. He is the guy in 2018 started 29 games. That's a lot, right, Chris? I mean, that's a lot though, right? 29 is, is, is if, if you're starting, if you're going pretty far in the game, that's a respectable amount. Yeah. Uh, 66 innings pitched. <laughs> what? Okay. Then the next year, he had 27 starts in 63 games and 77 uh, innings pitched. Wow. And that was a total of from two teams. Because he started the season with the Rays. I'm sorry. Sorry. That was the fun. That, yeah. That was. Yeah, that's the correct season. Sorry. Uh, so he started 27 games, and then he got traded. I want you to venture a guess how many times the Miami Marlins used him as a starter. Uh, I'll say zero. Correct. Yeah. Do you want to know what his ERA was? What was it when he was going back and forth? Uh, when he was with the Rays, he had a 3.40 ERA. And with the Marlins, he's just a reliever. I guess. Um, uh, I just want to go either way for a multitude of reasons. I'm going to go two and a half. No, he went the other way. Uh, okay. He had a 5.4 ERA. So he messed, messed them all up going back and forth. Yeah, this year he got one. One inning pitch, and he gave up three runs. He has a 27 ERA. That is, that is what I call someone going, someone's career getting derailed because for two and a half seasons, he had a position. And they took a chance. They took the opportunity. They probably plucked some minor leaguers from the Marlins to trade him because they, they sold him on the high end. I mean, a 3-4 ERA, that's pretty good, right? Not bad, yeah, for a guy who's going back and forth on positions. Right. Uh, 60, he had, at the time, he had 61 Ks in, in 55 innings. That's not a bad strikeout ratio. Uh, a whip of 115. It's just, I get what they're doing because they have to manage their payroll, but they're I'm almost willing to say they're ruining some guys' careers yep. because they're just literally throwing them out there whenever they want. I will give them credit, though. They seem to be curbing that a little bit this year. I don't see one person being the opener. And I also wonder if there's a couple people that have open, uh, you know, games started is because they've lost a couple of starters. Um, Who would they lose? Uh, they don't have Blake Snell right now, right? No, I'm looking at the wrong year. Uh, they don't have Charlie Morton right now, which is the big one. Yeah, he had a hell of a year last year. 
Right. They were really dependent so, on him. They were. They absolutely were. Uh, they have a couple other guys, but they have a few spots in the uh, rotation that are missing. And Charlie Morton's a big piece of that. So I wonder if they're just filling the holes for now. And maybe they went away from the opener position because, quite frankly, looking at this, I'm sure we look at any team, they're going to have pitchers on the DL. It's just the nature of the beast in 2020. This seems this seems like a lot. Yeah. In a short amount of time, too. And you got a lot of players. If you go and out, if I bet, I bet if I went back to 16, 17, 15 for the IL, I find you'll find two or three year stints where you see a lot of duplicates. Yep. You, you see Yanni Churios three years straight on the, on the IL. You see Chaz Rowe. I don't know who he is, but guess what? He's Heard hit the I, right. He's hit the IL three years in a row. A couple other players have multiple year stints on the IL. It's, Jose Alvarado, who was having a, a, a great coming up a, in the system as a closer, and he's hit the IL a few years in a row. So maybe <coughs> – sorry. Maybe they need to restructure how they're – pitching staff is going to pitch because they're screwing these kids up. And I think the greatest point I can make is where is he? Brett Honeywell. I know oh, you remember yeah. him. Yep. You were high on him. He, I not only, he, he was, he was a prospect in, in line with the likes of Blake Snell. And I think you even drafted him one season. Honeywell. Pro- I think I did. Yeah. Late in the draft as a, as a sleeper. Yeah. But I think it was also the year he went on the shelf with Tommy John. Yep. So, and every team gets their to, uh, the players with Tommy John. The the greater point is, is there's a lot of data that I've just in, in a little bit of time figured out that they have a lot of people going on the shelf for the same kind of injury. And they can fix it by just... I don't want to say going back to the old system because I know how I try to be. I want the game to move ahead. I want the game to evolve. This is not the right kind of evolving, though. This is this is basically using up pitchers for two or three years and then moving on from them, basically. Yeah, which, you know, really doesn't do that pitcher very much good since, you know, the Rays are a team. Look, I don't fault them for trying to get what they can out of players. They're a small market team, doesn't have a lot of money to spend. But just find guys who can pitch six to seven innings, five to seven innings, or at least try to. I know you're not always going to be able to. There's some guys that are just never going never gonna to amount to what they could have. That's fine. That's not your fault necessarily. But you can't have a, a system that screws with their muscle memory and what they're used to doing that much. It, it, it's not going to work. And you know you're not going to sign these guys to long-term deals. You can't afford to as a team. So even if they're studs, they're going to go out and sign with somebody else and get hurt because they're going to want to stretch them out again and have them going from opening for two innings to pitching seven innings. Look at a guy, even before the race, look at a guy like Jabba Chamberlain. The Yankees were so high. I know this is, this is a bit of a throwback. They were so high on Jabba Chamberlain. 
And he came out, and I believe as a starter, he was pretty good. And first couple times they put him as a reliever, he was pretty good. And then they started messing with him. Oh, you're a starter, but you can't go over this many innings. And then even though they wanted to win, they would shut him down so they didn't have him overdo it. Where is he now? He's not pitching. He's not pitching. This was a guy they thought was going to be a major contributor to their pitching staff for years and years to come. But they screwed around with uh, how long he could pitch, what position, whether he was a starter, whether he was a reliever. Constantly screwing with this. To the point where when he came in, I remember as a Red Sox fan watching this guy coming in the game being like, oh, good, Jabba's coming in. We're good. <laughs> we got a rally going. Jabba ain't shutting us down. And this was a guy a couple of years before that where you were like, oh, damn, this guy's got gas. He's throwing 98, 99 straight out of the bullpen. Even when he was a solid starter, he was doing really well. But then they kept screwing with where he was in the game. <laughs> Ten years later, kid's not even in baseball. Not major in baseball. Get- maybe he made him pitching in a minor somewhere. But it's like you just can't you can't ask these guys to continue to go back and forth and, and not expect injuries to occur. And I'll, I'll broaden it out a little bit more, Chris. You had Craig Hansen with the Red Sox. They tried to mess with him a lot between starting and, and, and closing. Uh, they had Blake Swihart, who they liked his bat. He wasn't a great catcher. They tried him in the field. Broke his leg. Uh, Jerickson Profar, the Rangers couldn't figure out what position he was going to play. And they shipped him to Oakland after being the top prospect for, what, five, six straight seasons, it seemed like. And now he's prospering in Oakland, playing the same position every single day. It just... Positional versatility is great. But if you have identified someone with a talent... Upper echelon talents, whether it be they can close or they're a great hitter, find them a home and utilize them. The greatest travesty would have been when the Red Sox tried, and they did, they tried to make Jonathan Papelbon a starter, and it failed, and they put him right back to the bullpen. It would have been a travesty for them to try again. But you have to ask yourself, he was good for a few years, then he dropped off. Did that hurt his longevity? Because they tried getting him out of his pattern, out of his routine. Injuries started catching up to him later in his career. Now, that may not have anything to do with it. I don't know. But it very well could have. Your your comment you just made made me think of somebody. Your uh, versatility is great, but if you can't be effective anywhere, it doesn't matter. I'm in this, I'm in this, uh, this fantasy baseball league. It's a keeper league, auction league. 10-man, a lot of fun. Everybody involved is really into it. Every year, these are some knowledgeable fans, too. These guys know what they're doing. Every year, somebody would lose their mind over Ben Zobrist, especially when he played for the Rays, because he, he'd, play like almost, he'd play like every position. All the infield positions, he'd eligible, eligible everywhere. And they would not just draft him, because I understand drafting that guy late if you can get him cheap, because then you have somebody to throw in to hope to accumulate stats if somebody has an off day or something. That makes sense. We're talking in a team where you had to fill out 20 roster spots and you had a salary cap of 260. People going 30, 35 on Ben Zobrist? On a 215 hitter just because he had versatility? And I'd just sit back and I'd be like, please, just keep bidding. Because the more one of you spends on that, the less you have to spend on somebody decent I can get cheaper. 
And, and, and it, it's just, it's like, people, it's like when somebody wants to trade a really, really good talented, like when the Jets were willing to trade Jamal Adams because, well, they screwed that up. But, oh, we got two first-round picks. Yeah, but you also had Jamal Adams. Yes. You're so happy to jump to the other side of the fence and see if the grass is actually greener. It's like, you don't realize you have an incredibly solid thing here. If a guy is a great reliever, let him be a great reliever because really elite relievers are few and far between in baseball. If you have a guy who's a really solid starter who can throw 100 miles an hour into the sixth inning, let him do that. The game will sort itself out if you let it. Just let him do that. Don't try to say, oh, you're going to be our new closer because you can throw for 100 miles, an, 100 miles an hour. Okay, great. Then the kid goes out when he gets shelled. His first couple outings, his confidence is shot. He's been pitching as a reliever for the past three months, so then he goes back out and tries to pitch seven innings, and he tears his UCL and misses a year and a half with Tommy John. At least. These are easily avoidable things. People try to tinker too much. Yeah. I mean, if... If you're someone like Yanni Chirios, who he doesn't have a great fastball, but he's he's got decent speed, and he's got some other pitches. I don't know exactly what they are, but I'm I'm familiar with him because I I, I had him, like I said, on one of my teams. If you just found him a nice, you know, if he was that bridge guy from your starter to your closer, or your starter to your middle reliever, then fine. And be consistent with it so that he knows out of a five, let's say five, six game schedule in a week, three three of those days he'll be middle relief and he'll know where he's at. And maybe he'll come up in a mop-up duty. But realistically, if you can give him an a kind of a, a framework of when he's going to pitch, where he's going to pitch, that'll get him ready to have a routine. Because people are creatures of habit. And if you give, give the ability for someone to have a routine each and every day, it'll breed confidence and in turn, the player will perform at a higher level. I give you the example of Mariano Rivera. He had a routine and the Yankees never screwed with him. Early on, very, I mean, very early on in his career, they attempted to make him a starter and they shipped him right back to the bullpen because they knew what they knew he wasn't going to perform there. And this is a guy for probably the better part of six, seven years at the back end of his career. All he did was pitch a cutter and you couldn't hit it, even if you knew it was coming because he just perfected his art because he knew when he was going to go in, he knew when to go to the bullpen. He knew when to stretch. He yep. knew when to get up. He knew everything because he had a routine, which is why he was the best reliever in the game of baseball. Get them a routine, and they'll pr- they'll prove to be better assets to the ball club than just having fifteen got fifteen pitchers. So you can surprise the other team with, ooh, who are they going to throw out today? Well, guess what? By the middle of the season, it ain't going to matter because your pitching staff is going to be full of guys who are 
in the earlier part of the season in double and double and triple A. Yeah, uh, I think that's uh, sadly why. I mean, not as a Red Sox fan because I hated seeing him come in the game because he was so damn good. But that's sadly why I don't think we'll see another Mariano Rivera probably ever again, truthfully. And that's that's the fault of people who keep trying to change the game. The Joe Maddens, the Sabermetrics, the a good quality player can't just be a good quality player. You have to find 15 reasons to tear that person down and then 10 to build up the guy hitting 210. Well, I want them to, I want them to change the game, but change it to make sense and not to put I personally believe you're killing careers by doing what you're doing. And I don't mean you, I mean the Rays. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. 100%. And let's and let's not let the other teams off the hook, Chris. There are a couple teams out there. One specifically we know is using the opener position. Uh, the Red Sox are used used it a couple times this year, and Charm Bloom is from the Tampa Bay organization, so we know we know he has that little thing in the back of his head where, ooh, I can use the opener up here in Boston. God, I would hate that so much if it just became the narrative. Honestly, if that became the way baseball was, it would chase me away from the game. Uh, honestly, I, I, I. I'd pay attention to exactly what I needed to to be able to do my job as far as this podcast goes. Mm-hmm. And that'd be about it. But, well, on to Philadelphia because the pitching, the pitching, uh, on to Philadelphia because the pitching situation in Tampa Bay is not the only process that's broken. Well, I think they did more to prove your own point as them being a poorly run organization than yes. you ever could have hoped to. They did it themselves. I just want to say um, um, I'm not glad this happened, but I'm glad this happened. And not only because you're a Celtics fan, then they swept the 76ers Correct. in four games. Because, Correct. I mean, it proves your point, so of course you're going to like it. Yes. First off, they got swept. Like, I understand they didn't have Simmons. I, I get that. He's a big part of their off- uh, their their game plan. But the guy can't shoot a three. We went over this already. Chris, you shoot two threes in an NBA game, you have more made than Simmons. Congratulations. And I understand they were one missed bucket from Kawhi Leonard last year from going to the NBA Finals. I understand that. He still made the shot. The Sixers still didn't go to the finals. They had a better team last year than they did this year. They had yeah, more well, pieces. <laughs> go ahead, sorry. They had more pieces. They had more extra pieces. Right. Full year this year than they did last year. Last year they picked up Tobias Harris um, at the trading deadline. They drafted a couple kids in the draft this year that looked like they helped. They got Al Horford from the uh, Celtics. So now you're taking an asset away from a direct competitor and adding him to your team, which by the way, did, 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 did Al Horford help the Sixers beat the Celtics this year? No, no, it didn't help at all. And there was, there was a point in the 17, 18 season of the NBA playoffs when they, when the Sixers faced the Celtics, this was Brad Stevens' second year, I want to say. 
And he was like, this was, I think I've talked about this before. The Celtics were not a favorite in that game. They didn't have Kyrie Irving anymore. Kyrie had already went down on an injury. They had Simmons. They had Embiid fully healthy. They had a couple other ancillary parts. And they just pissed it away because their head coach just can't get out of his own way. And Brad Stevens proved that he was more of a head coach than Brett Brown was. And that's proven in his record. And he has a great record in his last three seasons. But he has a terrible record in his first three seasons, which is, again, the beginning of the process. But I just I just, I just, just think this proves that the, the process was never going to work. They, they shot so many darts at the, at the first-round board of trying to get that player. And out of all that, they got two players – Joel Embiid, who can't play back-to-backs consistently, and Ben Simmons, who can't shoot a three. Not every player is going to be perfect, but that's not a recipe for success, in my opinion. No, it, it just—I mean, hearing more and more about this, it's—it's—it's it's, it's like when we when we did our worst run organization. We picked the teams we picked for essentially the same reason. I picked the Detroit Lions. You picked the Philadelphia 76ers. It all came down to drafting. And it's, you know, Ben Simmons can't shoot a three. Uh, Joel Embiid didn't, he said, didn't play his rookie year. Right. And now, they have to, and now he has a hard time playing more than two games in a row yep. because of, of injury issues. I'm not trying to mock the guy for that. He doesn't want to be hurt. I'm sure he'd love to be out there every game. And this isn't a knock on him, but this is an intelligence as a franchise to say, maybe you don't get the guy who probably isn't going to have a very long career and can't help us every game because he's already having issues. That's a poorly run organization. You can't bring that guy in. Like, when the Patriots drafted Sony Michelle. Now, granted, I think we all would have rather seen Nick Chubb in that position. Yes, yes. But they drafted Sony Michelle. They obviously saw something, but the guy had knee injuries. He had knee injuries in college. He had a knee scope before he even started in his rookie year, and I know this is a good part of that. And then it comes out essentially that he just has bone on bone in his knee. He doesn't have a whole lot of cartilage there. There's some you know degenerative disease in his knee. Well, he's not long for the league. And that's an organization that knows they're going to have to prepare and already have started. They drafted somebody this year. They drafted somebody last year. I mean, they, they're they're not just going to – he's never – they don't have just one, the guy. Like, there's rumors in training camp that Damian Harris is doing better than Sonny Michelle. Well, and they brought in Lamar Miller, too. Right. They didn't and bring they Lamar ha- Miller in. They didn't bring Lamar Miller in to be a primary back who's going to get 300 carries. Nope. They brought him in to be a change of pace, guys, along with Sonny Michelle, Damian Harris. They have Rex Burkhead. They have guys who are going to help him in that same position. It's a little different in basketball. You have five guys on the court, and if you have a guy who's going to be a weak link, 
no matter how talented he is when he's on his game, it doesn't make sense to build your franchise around that person. Sonny Michelle is not the centerpiece of the Patriots franchise. Like, Joel Embiid is the franchise of the 76ers right now. And they knew the it, problems going into it. It's kind of tied between – it's like a tie between Simmons and Embiid. But okay, that doesn't make that the, doesn't make the argument any better. Though. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it, it, I, I would liken it to this, Chris, because your point is is dead on. Is how one player in the NBA can take a team, and I'll give you two examples: Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James can literally take an entire team to the NBA Finals and win. Right. Uh, oof. LeBron James is is taking LeBron's garbage. Done it. LeBron's done it. So no matter what you may think of him, he's done it. He's proved it. Yeah, uh, he has dragged two uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. Two Cleveland Cavalier teams who had no business being in the playoffs to the NBA Finals, getting their clocks clean, but I, they made it to the finals. I question Kawhi only not not because he isn't great, only because the Toronto Raptors are competitive again this year. And I mean, they're not the same team without him, but they're still competitive. Sure, and. It's not like they don't have any business being on the court with some of these teams because they don't have Kawhi Leonard. Not taking anything away from what he did, that shot at the buzzer to win Game 7 against the the, the um, 76ers was phenomenal, but I still think the Raptors are a competitive team without him. They've actually proven that this season. But, but if they get cleaned out by the Celtics, does that maybe push I don't the think, No, here's the thing. Okay, here's the thing. Does that does that um, does that Cleveland Cavaliers team have any chance of making the playoffs or winning a series without LeBron that year? Not a not a prayer. No, not a prayer. So I'm not saying Kawhi isn't good enough to do it. I'm just saying I think LeBron's example is much more glaring. Uh, KG when he was on the Timberwolves. Oh God, yes. He carried that team when he. It was night and day when he was not on the court. If he was out for a few games for whatever reason, that team was abysmal. He was on the court. They were competitors. I'll that, guy, that guy would put a team on his back and carry them. The, the, the Milwaukee Bucks would not be even on the map currently if they didn't have Giannis. Right. And, now, and that's, that's not a knock assume, on the team. That, that's a compliment towards a great player being able to help his organization. And good on the organization for recognizing that in that player and bringing them in. I, I just think, look, I can name four players off the top of my head. Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Jalil Okafor, and Markel Fultz. The latter two you probably don't recognize. All four of them are top are uh, first first round picks. All four of them, I believe, are top five first round picks. Remember the I know the Okafor name. Did his, didn't his brother play too? Uh, I don't believe Emeka. Was that his and, brother? Was that Emeka? Wasn't related? No. I don't. I don't believe oh, okay. they're related. But like they 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 shot to get. All these talents, because they suck so bad that they wanted to get these uber-talented players and put them all together on one team. But if they can't play, it doesn't help. They had an opportunity to get Jason Tatum, who is proving that he's ascending to a superstar level. And the the, the Sixers thought they were clever and traded the Celtics uh, the third overall pick to get the first overall pick, I'm sorry. Yeah, to get the first overall pick, to draft Markel Fultz, who now is in 
Orlando. And I can go on and on. If you want to listen to the whole diatribe about the Sixers being a pull their own franchise, click back to a previous episode. Uh, it's in I the archives. Remember. It's in the archives. I don't remember which one it is. Probably somewhere in the 50s, 60s. No, not that long ago. No? No, we did our we did our worst run organization after the whole pandemic crap started. So I'd say... I'd have to guess it's probably somewhere in the low to mid-70s. All right. You would know better than I would. But they're just a bad franchise. Like, you, you need to... You need to figure out what you're going to be. And unfortunately, they've hitched their wagon to so many fat contracts right now. They are what they are right now. They're not going to get any better. There, There's these rumors floating about, and I don't know the names yet. A um, couple of college coaches, some prominent NBA coaches. I don't know who's going to come in. I don't see anybody being able to fix the fact that Simmons can't shoot threes and Joel Embiid can't play back-to-backs. Al Horford's an aging star. He was already aging when he got there. He's going to get even worse. And Tobias Harris, he's a nice complimentary player, but when Embiid and Simmons are not in there, he is not a good one or two. So it's just – yeah. The team hinges on the injury health of Simmons and Embiid. And that's a bad recipe. Yeah, well, it would appear the process is broken, as we've stated before. And maybe, who knows, maybe they'll get the right people in there and be able to turn it around. But if they continue on this path, it does not look likely. Anything else? Are you all set? I'm good. All right, we're going to get out of here. If you have any questions or comments on anything you heard on this episode or past episodes, Ben and I would love to hear from you. And where can they get in touch with us? You can hit us up on Facebook at Ben and Chris Talk Sports. You hit us up on Twitter at BCTSPod. Or you can go to the website, bctspod.com. All right. And as always, we appreciate everybody out there listening. Thank you so much. Downloads continue to rise. No, that's not a broken record. That is yet again. And that's because you guys are out there spreading the word. Can't thank you enough. Please continue to do what you're doing. For Ben, I am Chris. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you right back here Friday morning. Thank you.